Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Whoa, what a busy first round for the 49ers. And I don't think any of us expected it to go exactly this way. At the end of the day, though, guys, it was fairly simple. If you look at the overarching plan of attack that the 49ers followed, they wanted to fill the holes left behind by DeForest Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders. And they went out and they did that in the first round by being extremely aggressive with their draft capital. So just in in summary, they were at number 13. They traded back one spot to number 14. But then they hopped right on defensive tackle Joan Kinlaw out of South Carolina. And because they traded back, they were able to net a fourth rounder. But then later on in the draft, when they were initially at number 31, they used that fourth rounder as part of a package to move back up to number 25, where they were able to draft ASU wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. So Kinlaw and Ayuk were the the hall. They replace, or they're meant to replace, Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders. And because of their aggressiveness, the 49ers no longer have a day to pick. They don't pick again until the fifth round. So it's all a trade-off. They're okay with all that. They don't want to do that every year, but they're okay with all that because they really love Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk. So that's what happened in the first round. It it was wild. It was entertaining, especially if you're a 49ers fan. And it was a bit controversial, too, because they picked a defensive tackle with their top overall pick. But, Matt, this is where they are. And, boy, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch sure seem pretty happy about it. Yeah, they did. You could just kind of see it on their faces that they they got two of the guys that they had circled. I think, you know, fans uh, and observers may have been disappointed because that that combination was not one that people had wrapped their minds around. But, uh, you know, you and I at least were were trying to tell people that uh, that that first pick might not be a receiver. Um, that it, it could be a lineman and uh, turned out to be a, a defensive lineman. And so the question becomes now, can we possibly expect uh, Javon Kinlaw and, and Brandon Ayuk to be as good as the guys that they replaced, DeForest Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders? And, and I think the answer has to be no. Uh, maybe eventually they will be, but certainly not in their rookie seasons, which may be abridged even more because of uh, the coronavirus concerns that we're dealing with right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, are the 49ers as good today as they were heading into the Super Bowl? Um, you know, I think the, the answer doesn't depend as much on Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk as the guys around them. That if, if D Ford steps up, if Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, improves, then, uh, the 49ers have a chance to be better than their, their Super Bowl team. Um, so that's the question moving forward. Dennis, you must have been happy to see them take uh, yet another defensive lineman with their, uh, with their first overall pick. What do you think of Javon Kinlaw? There's nothing wrong with, uh, taking a defensive lineman first pick in the draft. It's kind of what John Lynch does. You know, he understands you build a team with your interior line, offense and defensive line. And if you look at Javon, I mean, I've seen a couple of, of tapes on him. I mean, this guy is a beast, and he's a natural three technique. He's an inside uh, uh, inside defensive lineman, a three technique or a one technique. Uh, he's got long arms. He's quick. He's powerful. 
he's he's used to taking on double teams. Uh, he's played he's played in the in the SCC. I mean, he is he isn't he's a kind of guy that you want in the middle of your football field. And and you know he won't replace like you said the first year DeForest Buckner, but. I think he is going to be a good defense. He's going to be a good part of this 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 team, and I, I think Solomon Thomas he has to he has to pick his game up a little bit. I mean, I don't know if you're saying that you've made him you've admitted you've made a mistake on a Solomon Thomas, but you just add to the arsenal a little bit, and and you talk about the uh, the receiver. I mean, he is a guy that's kind of built for this offense. I mean, he's a guy that he's a big play guy. He's a long stride guy. He's a guy. If you get the ball into his hands, <clears throat> he's gonna get those yak yards. And I think these two picks and, and the way it was kind of done, I didn't really understand it to go back and go back up to you know to kind of get rid of some of your capital. I would give the 49ers at least a B on this first day of picking young people on the team. As always, it's gonna come down to how Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, how the players perform when they get onto the field. And based on what both Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were saying on Thursday night, they think that this is going to go well because they feel that these are essentially seamless fits into what the 49ers are doing. And that expands on Dennis's point that uh, Brandon Ayuk fits really well into the 49ers offense and that uh, Javon Kinlaw is an ideal three technique. And I just found it really interesting, Matt, that the 49ers really doubled down on the team formula from 2019. Now, we've talked about the whole desire to bring the gang back together, to go forward, uh, you know, with what had worked that took them all the way to the Super Bowl in 2019. But that's obviously always easier said than done because the salary cap puts limitations on things. And the 49ers obviously weren't able to bring back a carbon copy of last year's team because of that salary cap. You have DeForest Buckner playing elsewhere for a $23 million cap hit this year. And Emmanuel Sanders is making a lot of money for the New Orleans Saints. So uh, the the fact that the 49ers were able to so surgically attack those two vacancies, even if these guys won't be quite as good next year, as as you pointed out, I think was really interesting. You, you rarely see, uh, especially in just one round of draft action, a team really fill every single hole that they create, you know, that was created by departures in the year before. Yet that's exactly what the 49ers did. And I think it also ties into... Uh, you know, how they view this roster moving forward because they gave up all those mid-round picks. uh, That's normally not a sustainable way to operate, but if they do really want to keep last year's team together as much as possible, that means there won't be that many roster spots open for mid-round to late-round guys this year, right? That means that that they already feel really good about their potential 53. So maybe that's why the 49ers were okay with uh, trading away some of those picks and and only taking these two guys because they're trying to maintain the dynamic as closely as possible to what they had last year. Yeah, the, the message was loud and clear, and and, and they've said this. They've they, they articulated this a lot. Kyle Shanahan, a couple of days after the Super Bowl, said that he thought he was certain that they had the best team in the NFL. The the other day when John Lynch got on with us on the on the pre-draft conference call or Zoom call. Um, he said that they felt like their roster was one of the deepest, uh, one of the most set in the league. So you're you're right. I mean, they don't see a lot of um, uh, r- roster competition, roster battles happening this year. They had two openings, and and they 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 got them in the in the in the first round. 
Now, are they overvaluing their their roster? Um, you know, we've been looking at this roster very carefully uh, over the last few months, and we've identified uh, interior offensive line as as perhaps a problem. Um, you know, uh, tight end. They 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 they've said that they wanted to get a better number two tight end. I don't know if that's going to be possible given that they only now have a a fifth, sixth, and a seventh round pick in this draft. So uh, there there are some areas where they could have um, improved this roster. Are they big ticket areas? No. These are we're we're having to look very very hard, scrutinize this roster to find flaws on it, and and I guess that's. Uh, that's that's telling in itself, but like you said, time will will tell whether these uh, these turned out to be good picks. But Dennis, I mean, if you were looking at this roster, where would you have liked to you know where would you like to see them um, improve, and would you have done anything different with uh, how they handled those uh, those first two picks? You know, and that's interesting because just two years ago we were talking about this roster that had you know, no playmakers on it. And and fast forward to last night's draft and, and watching John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan just kind of address, you know, the two of the areas that, you know, you might have lost in the offseason, a defensive lineman and uh, a receiver. And you go in the first round and you basically get, you know, we don't know now how these guys will, will kind of pan out, but you get a defensive lineman that's a very good defensive lineman that can replace it to force. Uh, then you go out and you get a a receiver that can replace you know a playmaker uh, on the on the offensive side and Emmanuel Sanders that you lose in the free agency. So, you know it, it's hard. I mean we can we can pick and we can choose and we can kind of uh, analyze this this team, but this roster is pretty deep and they've got some 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 nice players on this team. They got some nice guys who are development who, who are developing on this team. Uh, and then you go out and you bring in two other guys. And we have to remember, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and their staff and that scouting staff, they do a great job of evaluating and finding those diamonds in the rough. And they've got a fifth and a sixth and a seventh rounder. So when you talk about other offensive linemen, maybe another defensive lineman, maybe a cornerback, that they can go out these next three picks that they have in the draft in the next couple of days, and you, you know, they they probably have someone in mind right now that they can see coming in and developing, uh, and and being that player that's going to help out in some of those areas that we kind of nitpick and say what you need. And uh, and and you know, they've shown that they can do it late in the rounds. They can find these guys, find these, like I said, these diamonds in the rough, uh, and then they can contribute to this team. So, I mean, I look at this draft, and like I said, I give it a B. I think they did a fantastic job. I think. I'm impressed with Javon Kinlaw. I mean, I, I watch him, and the guy's a beast. And, you know, and he's a guy, like I said, he's used to a double team. And that's, you know, a pure three technique is hard to find. I mean, you have to be able to absorb a double team. Yes, he plays a little bit high, but he is a big, strong, and he's a motivated guy. If you listen to, you know, his entire story, he's going to be motivated to be very good and play for a long time in the NFL. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the big picture before circling back in on the details of these players, because I do think, Dennis, there are some fascinating de- details for both Ayuk and for for Javon Kinlaw. But you, you mentioned it, the picks later on, the 49ers, as it stands right now, it's Friday morning, about 9 o'clock. So you guys are going to listen to this a little bit later when we talk. I know that stuff is you know very fluid during draft time, so that's the only reason that I that I bring that up. But the 49ers, as of right now, have a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, and two seventh rounders. 
right? So we're talking about the difficulty to make this roster as a later pick. Well, it's definitely going to have to be a real diamond in the rough. So this is going to put the 49ers scouting department to the task. If the 49ers do find a player or two that does make the team out of this bottom you know, round group, that's a big credit to the scouting department because you got to be good to make the roster this year. But when I look at this from... You know, a, a big picture point of view, we, we were in such a gear, we really expected the 49ers to stock up on those mid-round picks to potentially address some future needs, not just 2020 needs. So the fact that they haven't stocked up on those middle-round picks has really been jarring, if you will, because and now you wonder, how are the 49ers going to address the, the potential secondary need where four starters see their contracts expire after 2020. How are the 49ers going to address the future of left tackle where Joe Staley may retire very soon? Those are two things that we expected the 49ers to do with their you know higher middle round picks. And obviously now since higher middle round picks don't exist, uh, they're probably not going to uh, attack those issues in conventional ways this season. And Matt, what it tells me, all these 49ers actions yesterday, all this doubling down on the first round. It tells me that the 49ers feel that they'll be able to kick those problems down the road a year and attack them in 2021. Now, it's going to be a lot more expensive to do that next year because I don't think that you want uh, you know, an entire secondary full of, uh, of rookies, for example, that you draft next year. Not, I don't even know if that's possible. Uh, so you're going to have to re-sign more guys maybe than usual. But I think that this is a calculated uh, risk for the 49ers. I think they're counting on the salary cap going up significantly next year, as it is projected to do in the NFL. And uh, I, I think that they're, you know, deciding in a way to roll the dice a little bit. They do realize that the Super Bowl window is open now for 2020. And uh, they don't want to, you know, mess with anything regarding that. They wanted to fill their gaps as much as they could at a budget at the draft cost this year. And they'll, you know, really deal with a lot of that later, unless they do find a diamond in the rough or two that can help this year. But I don't think you could ever count on that. Well, they have been awesome in the fifth round, so we yeah, can't uh, we can't discount their 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 fifth round prowess because they seem to find a gem every year there but but you're right they, they do seem to be all in uh, for the Super Bowl and, and that's exactly what they've been saying for the last two months so that that's not any different um, than what we've heard um, what they did yesterday what they did in the first round you know tells me that they really expect Joe Staley to be back I mean that that's been a bit of a question mark uh, but uh, they seem to think that he's definitely coming back because they were sitting there at 13 yesterday and and had one of the top uh offensive tackles uh there for for the taking and uh tristan Wirfs from uh the university of iowa and, and Wirfs was sort of a a double double in that he's got the ability to play guard as well so you could have had that thing where he plays right guard for a year or a year or two uh while staley's still around and then kicks out to tackle at that point, but um, they didn't. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of made a lot of phone calls uh, before the draft. And I kept asking guys about about those uh, offensive tackles. And they did very, very little work with those guys. I mean, they, they never thought that they were going to take one of those players at that spot. And, and lo and behold, they didn't. Now, they did do work on um, Ezra Cleveland and, and Josh Jones and Austin Jackson and some of the 
uh, kind of the the one tier down offensive tackle. So I don't know whether that was a possibility if they hadn't gotten Ayuk uh, where they did. But um, they seem to be saying that that Joe Staley is coming back and we don't really have a big need at offensive tackle at, at the moment. Um, cornerback, you're, you're right. I mean, I don't, uh, John Lynch on Monday said, uh, you know, we're going to stick with our plan, uh, at cornerback. He didn't articulate what that plan was, but, um, you're right. I mean, it, it seems to involve, uh, you know, using free agency next year as, as the key to sort of restocking that position. And maybe that free agent is, uh, is Richard Sherman and, and they bring him back on a, on another short-term deal. But, um, there doesn't that we, we don't really know what the long term plan is because so many of those guys are entering the final year of their contract. So, um, yeah, this is all kind of focusing on, you know, uh, Tampa in, in February where the, the, the Super Bowl will be held. And uh, the fact that the 49ers really believe that they have the talent to go back there and, um, you know, they, they probably do. Um, Dennis, do you have any thoughts in the, in, on that uh, as far as uh, balancing the immediate future versus the uh, the long term future of this team? I think they believe in you know the guys they have uh, in the building, and I think they're they're hoping, especially as far as the secondary goes, that you know some of these guys will take the next step. I mean, there's definitely some talent they have there, and they've you know they had some free agents that that have come in. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, I think they're waiting to see what happens with, with that. And I think right now, I mean, there's still, you know, there's still some guys that, that, you know, we're not sure that's going to be on the team. I'm super surprised that there's, you know, there's no definite yes, Joe Staley or no Joe Staley. Uh, that seems odd to me, but that's, that's something they're going to have to address. I don't know much about, you know, uh, Cole, but, um, you know, he's a guy that I, I guess they have penciled in if something happens to a Joe Staley. But that's something you you kind of have to uh, to address. But I, I think you're right. I think, you know, you, the window's here and the window's open. And, and, and you look at, at the Super Bowl and what was, you know, maybe what Kyle Shanahan and uh, John Lynch was thinking. We needed, you know, more firepower. We need more big play potentials. And everyone's kind of chasing uh, Kansas City now and kind of what they can do. Uh, get behind a defense, uh, have a speed guy that can go up high and catch a ball, you know, big plays. And I, th- I think if, if they look back or if we all look back at the Super Bowl, that was kind of what was kind of missing, that big play ability, you know, the big 60, 70-yard play. And I think, you know, you go out and you find it and you get it, you know, in the first round. So, you know, I think you're right. I think right now the focus is getting to Tampa um, you know, getting to another Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. So, but I do think they have a lot of confidence in, you know, what they have in the building. And I think the chore is to to find another diamond in the fifth round or in the sixth round or two picks in the seventh round and then, you know, uh, take advantage of this opportunity you have to to get back to a Super Bowl. Well, to finish up, let's talk about it, a couple of the ways that Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk may be really suited to help get the 49ers back to that Super Bowl. Because I think that there are some details about these two players that indicate that they're they're ready for the big time and that they really resemble their predecessors, the guys who they're meant to replace in DeForest Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders. I'll start with, with Kinlaw, because when I was studying him, I mean... It, 
on the surface, it's obvious that he's around the same frame that Buckner was. Buckner was 6'7", Kinlaw 6'6", 311 pounds. So you could see how the 49ers would look at both those guys and say, oh, well, Kinlaw can physically replace DeForest Buckner. And if you watch the film, at least the college film, it, it agrees with that notion. But I think that uh, what really sold the 49ers on Kinlaw was mentality. This is a guy who, against Georgia this past year, Georgia is the number three team in the country at the time, so it's this big South Carolina-Georgia game. Kinlaw is on the sideline. He's yelling at his coaches who are trying to put him on a rotation because Georgia had a ton of offensive snaps. I think Georgia ran 95 plays in that game. (laughs) Dennis probably cringing because back (laughs) in the the 90s, he didn't run 90-plus plays. But you know now how it is with tempo. Javon Kinlaw, that big body, was... Took close to 95 snaps because he was yelling at uh, the the coaching staff for taking him out of the game, and he actually forced his way back into the football game to run close to 95 snaps, and they won the game 20 to 17. Now remember that DeForest Buckner played uh, 1,006 snaps as a rookie in 16, and that that was obviously a heroic achievement. That was something that even alarmed some people, thinking that you know he, he probably shouldn't be in there for that many snaps. Thankfully, the 49ers got the snap count down later. But what, what those two pieces of information told me, and, and Dennis, I'll ask you about this first, is, is that uh, Javon Kinlaw may be cut from the same cloth as DeForest Buckner, who was a real Iron Man in the middle of the 49ers defense. I think that that Kinlaw's ability to stay in the game and continue churning at that size, I think that was a huge selling point to the 49ers. Am I right in, in, in theorizing about that, Dennis? Yeah, he's got a motor. I mean, that's what you say in football. He's 6'5", and what I saw, he was 6'5", 324. And, you know, and, and, and the negative thing about him, they were saying, you know, he played high, He you know, he's... You know, sometimes he doesn't finish, but you know, when you're six five, three hundred and twenty-four pounds, it's just gonna look like you're not running as fast or you're not putting in the effort. This kid's got a motor on him, and like I said, he's in the middle he's in the middle of the defense. He's taking on he's used to taking on double teams. So he's getting pounded in there. So to play that many plays, I can't imagine trying to play that many plays, you know, in a game, in the south, in the humidity. But like I said, this guy is motivated. I mean, he he is a guy that's that's had some things happen in his life. Uh, he knows that football is his way to make things better for himself and his family, and he's motivated. But I think he loves just to play football. I mean, and like it's hard to find a guy that enjoys playing a three technique. Three technique is probably one of the hardest, most underrated uh, positions on the football field. You are getting pounded in the middle there by two, three, sometimes four offensive linemen, and you still have to make plays. So I watch his. He's strong as a beast. He's got those long arms. You know, he's six five and he just can I mean he puts pressure straight up the middle and that's what you want you can't ask for more we saw what DeForest does this guy is even more physical than a DeForest Buckner so it's going to be interesting to see how he develops and how they use him you know with him and DJ Jones how are you going to use him is he going to be a third down situational guy his for his his rookie season we're going to put him out there going to play three snaps yesterday Ken Law said this that's just who I am as a person that's just my makeup. It's just in my DNA. On the field, off the field, I just want to be that guy. I feel like I was born to be that guy. That's that's what he said when when I asked him about the 
95 snap game and and how he you know feels that he could handle a huge workload and you're right he's it's in him he wants to embrace that huge workload now Matt uh, I'll ask you about Brandon Ayuk who you know there's so much nuance in how the 49ers run their offense but I think the main thing that you need to remember is you need to throw this wide receiver you, you know hierarchy out the window because it's it's really an egalitarian kind of wide receiver room and which George Kittle's obviously the the guy that receives most of the targets for the 49ers but the other receivers are always doing different things they're either lining up on the slot or they're lining up outside and they're shifting all over in the case of Debo Samuel they're taking handoffs on end arounds so it's it's a really uh, basketball-like setup, I think, that that Kyle Shanahan is striving for with this offense, where Jimmy Garoppolo is the point guard. So he's looking for guys to whom Garoppolo can distribute the ball, and they're supposed to line up in a ton of different spaces. And according to what Shanahan said yesterday, he thinks that Brandon Ayuk is the kind of guy that, that has shown that he can line up everywhere, inside, outside, you know, X, Y, F, you know, all the, all the wide receiver spots uh, uh, is... You know, it's all in his repertoire. Plus, he can also deliver after the catch. Some of those, I think he averaged 10 yards after the catch in college. So uh, I'm wondering how you see Brandon Ayuk fitting into this 49ers offense. I think he's sort of a, uh, a composite of Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, he's um, he's got the toughness that Debo Samuel has. He's really good with yards after the catch and, and breaking tackles. I mean, his longest um, pass plays last year were, you know, short passes that he turned into 50, 60, 70-yard gains. And, and and a lot of that is, you know, bad tackling in the, in the Pac-12. And you saw that in evaluating CeeDee Lamb and Denzel Mims as well. With, with the Big 12, a lot, a lot of their success has to do with really bad defenses being played especially in the secondaries of uh, of college football these days. But uh, point being, he's got a running back background. And, and that's been a uh, a theme in a lot of Kyle Shanahan's picks uh, in recent years. I mean, they, they used Debo Samuel as a running back last year. Uh, Jalen Hurd was a running back at the University of Tennessee before he was uh, he switched positions and moved to Baylor. So that ability to run after the catch is huge. Um, no defensive secondary is going to want to face a team that's got George Kittle, Debo Samuel, if Jalen Hurd is healthy, Jalen Hurd, and now Brandon Ayuk. That's going to be a lot of black and blues, uh, a lot of bruises uh, for DBs that uh, that face the 49ers. Uh, but uh, Shanahan's point was that he did a lot of the same things that uh, Emmanuel Sanders did as well. Um, he's played out of the slot. He can play both inside and outside like Samuel did. Uh, he's got deep speed, and that that's something that that's interesting. We haven't talked about this. That he had a uh, a, a core muscle injury that he recently had surgery on. Uh, I don't think it was as severe as the one that Nick Bosa had last year, because he said yesterday that he's already been working out and doing some things like that. But that may have impacted him at the combine. His his forty time wasn't that great. Didn't didn't jump out. Um, but, um, there's a, a sentiment that he may be faster than what he was able to show. And that may have been why he was, as the 49ers said, such a hot name, uh, this last week. And, uh, the, the 49ers wanted to get ahead of the Miami Dolphins who were picking at, uh, number 26 there, uh, in order to get him. So all those things together, I think, uh, were the reasons why 
Brandon Ayuk was obviously uh, Kyle Shanahan's draft crush going into this draft. Well, I think that both of these guys were Shanahan guys. Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, obviously for very different reasons. But uh, Shanahan really tied everything together in a great way yesterday. He explained why his regime has fairly consistently in all but one year, 2018, when they picked Mike McGlinchey, and every other year, they picked a defensive guy high with that premium pick. And Kyle Shanahan said that back when he played Madden in the 90s with his friends, he'd be the guy picking Michael Strahan first, while all of his friends would be picking Randy Moss. So Shanahan, at heart, is a guy who understands how important a defensive foundation is, and he explained that it makes it easier for him to call plays on offense when his defense is dominant. And that's why the 49ers went with Kinlaw yesterday. They want to maintain that defensive dominance, but it's also why they traded up later in the first round to get Brandon Ayuk because in a different kind of way, Brandon Ayuk is Kyle Shanahan guy, and that's in the purely offensive sense. Shanahan wants that multiple ability. So we, we saw Shanahan's grasp on the full context of the roster yesterday, both, both defensively and offensively, and it all came together in that one round. Well, we're going to be back later this weekend with uh, you know more in-depth breakdown of how the 49ers approach this entire situation, including, uh, you know, Dennis's great point that they, they may be able to find some diamonds in the rough later on in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. And hey, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll see some kind of wild trade up, maybe back into the fourth if they're able to trade Marquise Goodwin and then package together some later picks into a fourth rounder. I doubt it, but it's possible. And that's why we'll be back later this weekend to summarize everything that happens for the 49ers. But right now, hopefully we summarize that first round for you guys. Hope that you enjoy the rest of the draft, even though it may be a little bit weird with the 49ers currently not having a day two pick. For Matt Barrows and for Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Here's the Catch podcast.